Tonight on the Fanatic Forum, we're going to visit a little bit of rock and roll history. Maybe some more of the sordid side of things here. Either way, a very interesting documentary I'm very excited about. Ghosts of the Chelsea and other rock and roll stories. We're going to talk about that with uh, a music maker for the film. And of course, some uh, a familiar face in the Louisville area here. And we're going to do that right after this. Happy Friday and welcome to the Fanatic Forum. I'm your Fanatic and host, George Bueller. Thank you guys so much for joining us here today. Uh, we have got a really cool show here. Uh, you, you know me, I love a movie, I love a good documentary, and I love a good rock documentary. Uh, so we've got really, I, I, I haven't seen this yet, but I'm very excited about this because Again, I love, some, I love some rock documentaries. I love some behind-the-scenes kind of stories on things. And that's what this is full of here. We're going to talk about that in just, just a bit here. And we're going to flip things around a little bit. We're going to do an interview first here. And then afterwards, we're going to talk about some new comics here. Uh, but one thing I definitely got to plug for you guys here. If you are in the Hardin County, Bullitt County, even over in Louisville area here, tomorrow is the Night Risers Con here in Elizabethtown over at the Morrison Lodge on... Uh, Mulberry Drive. <laughs> Sorry, I said that a blank for a sec there. Uh, it is a free convention, uh, but there's uh, lots of local vendors there and artists to support. Uh, we've got some local wrestlers that are also there to uh, signings. But of course, their big guest, Ari Lehman, the first Jason, he's their guest of honor there. So uh, we've got that going on all day. And then at 7 o'clock, they've got a zombie walk. So, uh, so everybody in the E-Town, Hardin County, Bullitt County area, Come on down to the Morrison Lodge here. It's going to be a fun time. All right. Now let's get on to business here. Folks in the Louisville area, you may know this person from such infamous bands as Body Hammer, Lucky Pineapple, and of course, Cat Casual, and the final word here, my friend, William Benton. How are you doing, sir? I'm very good, George. Thanks for having me. Good, good, man. So uh, we have got you on here specifically because... Uh, there's a new documentary called Ghosts of the Chelsea and Other Rock and Roll Stories. Uh, and you've become a part of that uh, in more ways than one. Uh, so that, we're going to definitely talk about that. And of course, uh, how folks in the local area can see this film upcoming too. So yeah, but either way, how are you doing, sir? I'm uh, uncharacteristically well. I'm uh, <laughs> staying busy, which is required for me. As, uh, yeah. yeah, I can't be left alone with my own thoughts for very long. So uh, <laughs> New York is good for that. You know, you can, uh, well, out of necessity, you have to keep moving. So between the music, between uh, this documentary that I absolutely just fell into and, and then working at the Chelsea, where I'm at right now, um, yeah. it's, uh, it's enough. It's a full plate. <clears throat> absolutely. So let's 
kind of start from the beginning here. Uh, the Chelsea Hotel, of course, is was very infamous, especially in the 60s and 70s. <clears> a lot of uh, extended stays from people like uh, Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell, Bob Marley, some of the Rolling Stones, uh, Andy Warhol, his whole entourage, sort of things like that. There's been a lot of, you know, famous and infamous things in there. But then the Chelsea closed for a long time. But now... It's reopened. So tell us how that came to be, then how you came to come to work there. Um, historically, it was, well, we'll start with the closer, actually, because that's where we're at right now in this reopening. We're um, February 22nd. We started with the top uh, full floor of rooms and just started uh, opening floors as they become ready. This was after it was closed for 10 years. Uh, after it sold in 2011, there were some ownership changes. And uh, once the current owners assumed control, they really got to work to bring it back to, um, well, back into being a hotel and one that respects the history. And it's such a deep well of, uh, of just everything. It's funny to hear, you know, other people describe it, you know, as the rock and roll hotel, which most certainly was in an era. But uh, one, of, one of the things I do around here is give tours. And yeah. it's funny to hear just different people from around the world uh, knowing of it and respecting it for entirely different reasons. And um, from the literary giants early on and uh, the beatniks to rock and roll to punk rock to, you know, just general bohemians and eccentrics that just seemed to be, you know, uh, this was a magnet for. It was built Absolutely. originally as a, one of the city's first co-ops. And from the beginning, it was engineered with creatives in mind. Um, the Chelsea area was the center for uh, the theater district back then. And um, this was the tallest building in all of Manhattan upon wow. completion in 18. It was, they started building 1883. It was completed in 1885, opened in between 1884. And yeah. um, so, and that's the history of New York too, is very aggressive change. So within, uh, by the dawn of the 1900s, they had to reassess as the theater district siphoned off to work. Hello? Look, I got lost you for a second. Yeah, it blinked out for a second. Sorry. Okay, cool. Um, so, um, so after that, since it's been a hotel, but a, a, a unique one to say the least. It never lost mm. um, that, uh, that slant towards uh, artists of every stripe. Um, now, as far as my own involvement and with this documentary as well, absolute weird coincidences. Uh, um, which seems to be a reoccurring theme in my life. Um, <laughs> it was, I really got the call to work here out of the blue on sort of a, a crisis week of, you know, between shutdowns had upended my life uh, between mm -hmm. all I was really doing was bartending, playing music, DJing. And that yeah. was so shaky. And I, you know, I've been trying to get back to New York for a while and uh, everything sort of disrupted that. And, um, so finally, I just, I, I go, I come back here and um, yeah, I DJed a lot and then crunching the numbers and just like, I, I, I'm not going to get enough of that work. I need to, I need to get a grown up job. And, um, and then call came in that week. Um, the ownership knew that I had a relationship with the place and at the least was well read on it. And, um, and I had worked for them at another sort of historic property. Um, called the Marlton uh, place, also uh, kind of a Chelsea Junior in, in the sense that Kerouac had lived there, Neil Cassidy had lived there, right? Uh, Valerie Solanus had lived there, um, 
a lovely little place that I also care a lot about. Um, mm -hmm. But my, you know, over the years, the first time I laid eyes on this place was I was 18 on a road trip. And um, it was, in my mind, it was something I thought everybody knew about. And, and I was in a car with a couple other guys that went, guys, it's the Chelsea Hotel. And yeah. to a, a collective shrug with them. Like, and, um, but um, a couple of years I'm later, I, I remember <laughs> seeing, uh, seeing it with Body Hammer uh, when we just accidentally turned down 23rd Street. I didn't know enough about New York geography to just go to it. And this is mm -hmm. also before GPS and, and such. And, uh, yeah. or, or boy, for us anyway. Um, yeah. But over the years, uh, you know, I would pop in when I could, stay here on occasion. There was industry parties usually with like, CMJ and North by Northeast and said, and sleep on a floor or go to a party and art exhibitions. This place always just had something going on. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And then I went to work here and time for it to get rolling and us to see what this is going to be now. Sure. Um, after basically a, a history that you don't want to mess up. Yeah. I mean, what, good, good or bad. Right. Um, yeah. Cause I, cause I understand of course, you know, the, uh, uh, one of the more infamous stories of the uh, the Hotel Chelsea is basically, or the Chelsea is, is the Hotel Chelsea or Chelsea Hotel? What they like it, it, officially the Chelsea Hotel, but it was you know when it was built, it wasn't a hotel. Um, so they called it Hotel Chelsea, and just it's just known as the Chelsea Hotel. Yeah. but yeah, one of the more infamous stories of the Chelsea, though, uh, is basically uh, Sid and Nancy, uh, where Nancy Meyer was killed uh, in room 100. And so uh, I know back in the day, they just decided to kind of slightly demolish room 100 and kind of, I guess, put it into kind of move it into another room. But is that still sort of the case or has there been almost kind of like a complete different remodeling for things now? Um, when, yeah, when... Uh... When Nancy Spungen expired, Stanley, the infamous general manager, I should add, Stanley Bard, who's really the the personality that it, as I said, historically it was always this arty place. But really, when Stanley enters the picture as a curator of people, uh, more than anything, um, that's the identity most people know of the Chelsea. He knew it would become this sort of, you know, bizarre punk shrine. So he combined it with the neighboring room. That way, as simple as when the conversation is, I want to see room 100 or can I book room 100? He could say it doesn't exist when physically it did. It was just a bigger part of another room and just, you know, different room number. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, it, it, would be, it would be an obvious magnet for the, the, uh, the morbidly, you know, uh, yeah, you know, I, people, I, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I had a guy come in who lived here and uh, talked to me a bit about that. And he said it was really funny for so many years to just see, as he described, these goth Long Island girls walking around with candles and stuff, you know, trying to hold vigil, but not really knowing where to go and uh, <laughs> or, or just having the completely wrong area and room and floor and everything else. But um, but, yeah, it's it's nearly a daily conversation. There's sort of a trinity of personalities or entities here that I have to talk about. And that's every day. And that's, uh, of course, Sid and Nancy, uh, Patty, Patty Smith, Robert Maplethorpe. Um, okay. Patty, Patty has brought more people to this place, I think three to one than any, anybody. And it's really, uh, the love and, um, uh, uh, in her writing about mm -hmm. the Chelsea and her book, just kids that keeps renewing sure. a new audience all the time. I'm it's, 
I mean, several times by several times the most read book I see just on the train and around New York. Um, and then uh, Leonard Cohen being the other. And um, so uh, giving tours of this place is dense as the history is. I used to spend the elevator ride to the top, narrowing the fields. Like, what brings you to the Chelsea? How do you know about the Chelsea? Yeah. And, um, and I've had to learn that you know, I'm not ever a good barometer for normalcy. Like, what I think <laughs> people should know about and what I care about is never going to be anything to, uh, to assume. But um, those, are, those are people that, you know, affected my life. And, right um, and that are in my wheelhouse, although I've, you know, I, I, the literary greats, of course, Arthur Miller and Thomas Wolfe and uh, O. Henry and Mark Twain and stuff, you know, they all have, you know, these incredible stories here. But there's plenty of lesser known people that uh, I love to talk about as well. And, sure. uh, you know, Harry Smith, to me, is the quintessential uh, Chelsea Hotel like spirit for me just as somebody who moved music so incredibly yet few people know his name. And that would have been his assembly of the American anthology of folk music that yeah. basically kickstarted the folk music scene. In a lot of, I mean, it was their Bible essentially, which of course affected rock and roll and, and such, sure. but he was so many other things, experimental filmmaker, uh, artist, archivist, overall just uh, through and through weirdo. And uh, so, yeah. But there's yeah, plenty that, to discuss, and I have to narrow that down uh, because yeah, otherwise that tour could take all day. I'm sure, yeah. Well, I've always, you know, I love watching little clips, you know, little different newsreels or like that. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorites for uh, the Chelsea is there's uh, Quentin Crisp is like out on a balcony or something. I think it was something for the BBC, maybe. Yeah, there's uh, a BBC Arena documentary from 1981. And, yeah. um, and that's, uh, it captures the hotel at a really colorful time with a lot of, a lot of the notorious personalities still around Virgil Thompson, Quentin Crisp, Viva yeah. is there with her lovely daughter, Alex, who just put out an incredible book called uh, Don't Call Me Home that goes very much into uh, her, her upbringing here. Uh, she mm -hmm. was she was raised here and then uh, they returned at one point. Her half sister, the actress Gabby Hoffman, also as well. Um, who else is in it? It's it's pretty amazing. Uh, Alpheus Cole, who has an amazing story ancient ancient old man in 1981 uh over 100 when they interview him for that and his story as a great artist he came here when he was in his 80s pleading his case which is i don't have long left stanley could i give you some artwork and just live my days here and stanley looked at him and said you know you'll probably die any day now and then he <laughs> he, he lived to be the oldest man on the planet at 112 so that didn't work out quite as expected <laughs> You got you got thirty two years of uh, a good room there. <laughs> yeah, amazing. But it. this place kind of has that power, I suppose. Absolutely. So, how did you become involved with this documentary? I mean, obviously, you work there, so they're going to interview uh, you at least for stories or whatnot. But I, I'm not sure if there was any plan to interview any of the the staff. I've never really talked to uh, Danny about that. The, the director, mm -hmm. Danny Garcia. Um, what did happen was somebody had told him that I had written the handbook for the front office just to mm -hmm. give younger people a bit of a perspective on the history here. Sure. Um, and I believe it fell into his hands and he read it and then wanted to talk to me. And um, one funny thing is he said, 
I didn't know this, but one day he he went upstairs and just me probably in job mode saw him and he yeah. said that I, I like mean mugged him like I like who the hell are you you know like coming up here you're not a guest or something like that I don't remember that but it, it's very possible it's it definitely happened um, so then we met and I I think originally it was just supposed to be some supplemental footage of just you know. Uh, kind of a loser musician carrying a guitar just for some B-roll stuff or something. And because um, I had big hair and, and uh, you know, you know, whatever. And um, yeah. he, um, it, well, it, it's yeah, a bit of an occupational hazard, I suppose. But um, <laughs> he, um, but yeah, reading that, he's like, oh, I could get some history stuff from you. So then he interviewed me for just some basic stuff that you hear. Uh, um historical you know tidbits and then eventually I, I guess he got around to listening to the music that i do and then he said mm -hmm. might use a song or two and i said absolutely just you know there's you know, talk to a record label and do that and then the next thing i learned you know when he was in the editing process he said i've never done this but how about you know i just use just all your music and oh, wow. and again it's like you can help yourself to that as well and um it's uh, so yeah, it's a huge honor for me. It's so strange to have such a a passing relationship with this place, which is of course it's been meaningful to me and and whatever. But you know, I never lived right. here, and yeah. uh, or anything. It was never a possibility, and to to now to be so involved. But yeah. it's um, it's a huge honor, and it's not lost on me. And uh, I love sharing this place with people. These tours are, are my favorite part of the job, and I love. Uh, I love it when it means as much to them as it does to me. So yeah. I get yelled at by a lot of French people and various Europeans who think Americans don't appreciate these things enough. And uh, I can't, I can't argue that with them. Um, and then of course we get Canadians that come in as sort of a pilgrimage for their, their Leonard Cohen respects and, and kind of the same thing too. But um, so yeah, it's, it's a crazy, weird, almost random sort of occurrence but um it's also consistent with the chelsea eccentric sort of uh electricity of this place yeah and, and that's the thing is just you that's there's certain places within music history not just rock and roll history but there's certain mm -hmm. places within music within artist artistic history uh that are sacred places and mm -hmm. yeah the chelsea is certainly one of those um I'm a big nerd for studios, so you know, you know, Muscle Shoals and uh, some of the, you know, the the LA studios, especially like Capitol Records, you know, the, you know having absolutely, you know, their their big groups of uh, session players and such like that, and mm -hmm. you know, just some some of that behind the scenes, how the sausage is made, sort of thing when it comes to art, fascinates uh, mm -hmm. me. And so uh, let's actually, uh, we have an opportunity to show the trailer here for Ghost of the Chelsea, so let's actually do that right now here. It really was a place for rare individuals. I mean, I know that's their motto, but it really was. It's a classic place. And so many great artists have always been here over the years. It was Disneyland for sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It was a wild, almost like an insane asylum with some of the things that were going on. Bob wants to meet you. I went over to the, uh, to the Chelsea 
she opens the door and the smoke, I mean, you couldn't see anything because they were rolling spliffs in the New York Times. Coming here was a special event for me because there'd always be uh, luminaries. And obviously the Chelsea is just directly intertwined with the Warhol world. Wow, this is like such an incredible part of history. I never saw anything beautiful here. I never saw anything nice here. I saw a ghost here. I said, yeah, he's a gay ghost. Well, when you walk through the halls of the Chelsea, you can really feel this kind of energy. Certain places have certain powers. And this hotel has, has that power to make you want to create. It's Cheerio, Mysterio, friends and pirouette. It's Cheerio, my deario, there's life in me yet. Oh, I love that song at the end. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah, uh, and now, of course, uh, we got to get, definitely give a little plug here uh, because the uh, film is currently on a road show right now, so touring around uh, the country and actually around the world here. But if you were in the Louisville area, September 29th at Planet of the Tapes, you can see this film. Uh, so, yeah, very exciting. Of course, Planet of the Tapes, uh, outstanding venue there, part comedy club, part Old school video rental, part artistic uh, den. So, yeah, love the place. Uh, of course, if you're in the Philadelphia area, there's a show on October 4th. Uh, London, you're on October 6th. Minneapolis is the 11th. Uh, Berlin on the 15th. Good Lord. They're hopping all around. <laughs> There's got to be two different teams. They can't be doing London, Minneapolis, and then Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess he, he's, uh, you know, I... Before I met Danny, I had been to one of his movie premieres. For he did a documentary about Max's Kansas City, and uh, and uh, that one's a lot of fun. It's called Night Clubbing. Well, I, oh, nice. What I learned it, I'd seen basically everything he'd done uh, between uh, or the documentaries anyway. Uh, there's a Stiv Bader's documentary, a Johnny Thunder's documentary, his Sid and Nancy documentary, Sad Vacation, is actually now included as a bonus feature on the Criterion Blu-ray of Nan uh, Sid and Nancy, the film from 1986. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen um, that, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and I think it's an edit of it, because I'm pretty sure it's, uh, it's, it's a shorter version, but still, that's that's, okay. that's a nod of respect, yeah. Criterion. Um, yeah, no kidding. But anyway, that made me a little bit more aware of, of Danny and how he does things, and it's just this, which is it goes on tour, and he, he goes where he can to promote, as does... Uh, you know, one of the producers, Mike, who's a great guy, appears briefly in the film as well, opening the car door for me. Um, he, he's never done that before since. But, um, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, so, it's fun. And, and I'm coming to town, and I, want, I didn't want to miss the opportunity, hopefully, to have friends and family see it there. Yeah. So um, and I guess another plug uh, would be that I'm uh, going to be in town to play with Body Hammer at Plunder over Louisville. A reunion show of uh, of uh, uh, you know Louisville's great loss favorite opening act of the early, late '90s and early 2000s. Um, <laughs> but no, we're all still alive and still love each other very much, and we reunited last year and had such a good time that we're happy to That's do it awesome. again this year. I know. I, I, I I'm I'm sad I missed you guys last year. I'm hoping I can get you guys. Uh, this year, so mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, because I haven't seen you all in the flesh in a while, so it'd be great. Uh, did have a couple of comments in here. Uh, Diamond Dave Mattingly, longtime listener of the show here, uh, asks, "Do you feel lucky? Do you pineapple?" <laughs> <laughs> Dave, Dave's been a longtime lucky pineapple fan, so he was. Uh, hey, Dave. 
Yeah, he, he was psyched when uh, I said you were going to be on the show. So, <laughs> uh, Marianne Stansberry saying hello, George. Hello to you, Marianne. Good to see you, dear. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so I we, I'm very excited about this documentary. I'm excited for you. That's, uh, of course, an opportunity to kind of spread your music out a little bit more to a wider audience. Uh, and of course, just, yeah, I know how much fun you're having with the Chelsea because you post about it all the time. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm envious because it's, it's really cool. Uh, it really is. It's it's a lot of people say I have a dream job to work at a comic shop. It's like, yeah, you work at a famous hotel. So it's like, that's, you know, we're, we, we have good trade-offs here. And, yeah. Hospitality is really strange. I, you know, I fell into it in the early 2000s as sort of my grown-up job um, when, you know, when, when I needed a grown-up job. And it's, sure. it's, it works really well with the music world, or at least that is somebody who writes songs because you've always got stories. And um, I love touring and I don't get to enough. Um, so I love travel and, and mm -hmm. at a hotel, the world comes to you and, uh, people, different personalities, different stories. And at this point in my life, especially in the States, I feel like I've played every, you know, every whole dive and, you know, crappy club in the country. So people usually like it when they show up and I ask where they're from and know, you know, probably the place that they've had their most embarrassing moments in, but, uh, no, uh, it's you know it's uh, it's cool uh, with hospitality for that reason, and and I still get s something out of it. Uh, this is other level. Um, is uh, I've said it a lot, and I'll say it again to have like a uh, a link to a history that means so much to me. Coming from rural Oklahoma, learning about this just through books and records and storytelling and films, and um, it has had a role in my life, and now I have a role in its legacy. So I, I essentially don't don't want to fuck it up. So it's just, it's beautiful. It really yeah. is. Uh, well, before I let you, of course, you know you are working today, so you are on break. So thank you very much. <laughs> well, uh, thanks, for, thanks for having me. I really appreciate uh, before, it. Before absolutely, before I let you go here, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have your own? I mean, because of course everybody's got a story for the Chelsea. Everybody's made their own stories from time to time. But do you have an interesting story since you've been at the Chelsea? You know, most of the time, it's, it's mainly what I'm getting these days is I'm really struck by, uh, as a huge Patty fan, mm -hmm. um, this kind of goes back to the tours and what I'm learning from people through it is I was guilty of generalizing a lot when people started to arrive and wanted tours. And if they were over 80, 80 something years old, um, I would generalize and just like, all right, we're going to talk about Arthur Miller and maybe even farther back, Mark Twain, Dylan Thomas, O. Henry. And yeah. what I've learned is there's that she just keeps finding a new audience. And there's people older than her that are just discovering Patti Smith and just discovering just kids. And they're happy to clarify that, no, I read this book. I'm a lifelong New Yorker. I started a family when I was in my 20s. So by the time punk rock happened, I was at a family and starting a career. So I missed it. And yep. now I've, re I've been introduced to this weird and wonderful world and this amazing woman and her life. And, uh, and then I'm right on track because that's my wheelhouse and what, you know, school, you know, got me interested in the Chelsea and, yep. and music really and art in general was punk rock. Um, telling me and showing me that I could do it as well. Um, so that's the story I take away from here. Now, as far as, you know, I have with respects to privacy to both guests and tenants, you know, I, I, I can't disclose too much, but, um, <laughs> But it's still a hotel and it's a crazy place in all the best possible ways. And, uh, uh, yeah, every day it's it's not 
it sounds corny and trite, but I swear it's true. And if anyone knows me, probably would think this is really uh, complete bullshit. But I promise mm -hmm. you, coming from where I come from, and with maybe some reckoning with my life, and now that I'm fully steeped in middle age, uh, mm -hmm. emerging from the subway and seeing that sign, it's still like a, a jolt. Like I work there, and that's yeah. and you know, if you would have told me that as a kid, that would have that would have blown my mind. You would have told me that. Right. If, 15 years ago. So, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, I still get a lot from it and I see other people, you know, it meaning a lot to them as well. So I try to do the best I can to, to, to help that. Sure. Absolutely. I, and, and that thing, it, it is, you know, it, it is an honor to work in a place like that, that has so much life and so much history in the mm -hmm. walls that, yeah, I, I would, I'm the same way with you. I would pop for, walking to that place every day or something or someplace similar. So, well, yeah. you, you know, any job you, you can be caught up in your duties and, and allow yourself to be jaded by, you know, the guts of it and stuff. And then, uh, it's, uh, it's pretty remarkable that it's been steady since this place is open, you know, like we're staying full now and the word is out and uh, it's action packed to say the least. And, um, but it is, you know, that magic that I, I draw from it that still, uh, still makes me very, uh, you know, very honored and excited to be a part of it. Wow. And this documentary as well, going, uh, been to two screenings, two sold out screenings of it here in New York. And, um, it's talking about something surreal when, you know, it's, I'm my least favorite person to look at as I'm reminded right now. And, um, <laughs> You know, being on camera doesn't really thrill me that much. Uh, I hearing a movie, a documentary, and definitely a documentary about a place as meaningful as the Chelsea to me. Hearing my songs like repeatedly, it's kind of distracting for me. <laughs> because, sure, you know, because um, you know, like, uh, what's next? Um, and mm -hmm. uh, how do other people digest this? You know, in terms of the film stuff, but everyone's been very, very kind and complimentary and. Uh, and yeah, it got, you know, this music now gets to go around the world and people hear it in another way. Just, you know, of course, we have streaming in that way and it's it's different to me. That's a compromised, you know, experience. So this is much more fulfilling to, to know the audience are hearing, you know, this way. Yeah, you're getting someone new, you know, attracted to you. So, and, and I think I, I think that's absolutely beautiful. I mean, because you got, you know, I've respected your talent for a number of years and, you know, there's, you know, it, you know, well, I'm a friend, so I'm biased, but nonetheless, you know, yeah. I, I, you know, I respect your talent, so uh, I'm happy you're getting a break like this. I'm very excited for well, you. Thank, thank you for your kind words. I appreciate you're it. Very welcome. <laughs> uh, so again, we got a plug. September 29th at Planet the Tapes, you can go see Ghosts of the Chelsea and other rock and roll stories. Uh, and then, of course, you said it was October 6th is the uh, Body Hammer show. Uh, no, it's the next day. It's uh, oh, uh, the 30th. The uh, oh, good yeah, okay. plunder over Louisville at uh, it got moved to the Mag Bar, which that should be a party. Uh, nice. So, that so yeah, awesome. we we have some some uh, some goofy fun lined up, and uh, but most of all, it's uh, uh, you know any anytime you get Andy Shaney involved, it's not going to be a normal um, just another call it in set. So uh, uh, yeah, no, but but most of all, it's it's great to see and play music with those guys again. Absolutely. That's going to be awesome. And one last comment before you go here, Dave uh, chiming in again, saying that he skipped a day of work to go see you guys. 
I'll uh, play at the uh, WFPK's live lunch back. Oh, wow. Well, well, thanks so much. Yeah, I remember that <laughs> very well. It's strange because it might not surprise you. I don't sit around and watch much video of myself, uh, but that came up in an algorithm recently at work. And, uh, and uh, I don't know, we, we, there's at least one musician here at the front desk. And so I showed the kids what uh, mm -hmm. some, some of what I do. And uh, yeah, I was, I was impressed to say, you know, to see that. And it was like, it's, you know, Lucky Pineapple was just such a strange chapter in my life. And uh, yeah. really some of the most talented, you know, people I've ever played with. And then of course my brother, super talented and it's always great to be able to play with him which he's also yeah, exactly. in body hammer and Absolutely. has helped me out and has helped me out with um you know my solo stuff as well um for such a weird band with a goofy name that people really showed up for for years and uh you know it's yeah. uh it was quite a ride yeah of course body hammer's got a great cult following um <laughs> of course you know one of your performances i'm very partial to is the uh, the Halloween show where you guys were the uh, did the Alice Cooper cover band. It's kind of a super group around Louisville. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that was you know um, as far as I've never had much interest in being a uh, in a rock and roll band like something that clearly sure. is defined as that. But uh, yeah, yeah. the late great Tony Bailey, you know, begged me to to do that because he knew I lo I liked early Alice Cooper group mm -hmm. records a lot. I do yeah. and. Um, and then uh, a chance to play with him on drums and and it just a super talented band. I mean, really, probably the best as far as playing that kind of music. I was the oddball. It did reveal limitations in the sense that I could learn the riff, the song, and then just by my wiring over practices, it started morphing into like my version of it. And mm -hmm. Tony, Tony was a, a machine, and he would be yeah. the one be like. Hey, you're you're veering off into you know William Land. You need to get back on track into this iconic <laughs> you know guitar rock you know and riffs that people expect if they're going to see a tribute band. And yeah. uh, and it, you know he was right. It's also why I haven't taken that task very often. The, the other time was you know in a television cover band with the fantastic Killy Killy, and uh, which was just a dream come true to play those songs. And it was so great to play it with those guys. But I don't see myself doing that very often. But uh, the Alice Cooper group, uh, Black Juju, the ultimate Alice Cooper group tribute band. Full name. They were very insistent on that. Was yeah, that was a wild. That was a good good time. And the, and the last time I got to play with Tony, who's just one of the greatest musicians I've ever known. Yeah, I, I didn't get to know Tony personally, but I certainly knew him professionally. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so yeah, rest in peace to a great musician. Mm -hmm. So, Wolster. Thank you so very much for being on here. Uh, we appreciate your time uh, because, yeah, I, I've, I've been wanting to talk about this uh, since you've been promoting it, so kind of the early stages of it. So, yeah, so I've been very excited about this documentary. So, thank you very much for being. No, thank here. you so so very much. We we uh, I'm sure the film uh, appreciates it as well. Those guys. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, again, September 29th, Planet of the Tapes. You can see Ghosts of the Chelsea. And then on the 30th, go to the Mag Bar and see the Body Hammer reunion for 2023. You will not be the same. <laughs> well, thank you, that could sir. Be true. I will release you now into the wild. So you have yourself a wonderful evening, and I will hope to see you, you soon, as well. Sir. Take, Take it care. easy. All right. That was awesome, folks.
Well, like I said, we're going to do things a little bit backwards here because I got to talk to William. Uh, but now we are going to do our comic book reviews here. So uh, I've got only one DC, uh, some Marvel, and some indie books here. So, uh, of course, a new number one this week here. Green Lantern War Journal here. Uh, if you've been reading the current Green Lantern books, you know there's been a backstory in the last couple of issues setting up what Jon Stewart has been up to, because now all the Lanterns are basically being kicked out of their own space force uh, that's being run by new bosses, and so a lot of the Earthbound Lanterns are literally stranded on Earth, but they all still have their rings. They still have some of their powers, and they're doing some interesting things with it. But uh, this is a basically uh, a book solely on Jon Stewart here, uh, one of my absolute favorite Green Lanterns. Uh, so, yeah, I'm excited about this book. Uh, Dan, uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson writes the book. Uh, the artist's name is Montos. Uh, that's goes by one name there. But, uh, yeah, just beautiful art in the book here. Really good. So, I actually, I like this better than the actual Green Lantern book. I thought it's kind of started off a little slow. Uh, it's starting to pick up now. Issue three was better, uh, so I think where it's going, it's picking up. But the John Stewart book started off really well, so yeah, very excited about it. Another very exciting one from Marvel Comics here. I've been looking forward to this one. Predator versus Wolverine. Uh, Benjamin Percy is the main writer on this one. Then you've got art by Ken Lashley, Greg Land, uh, and Andrea DeVito, uh, because basically this kind of has... A bit of history to it. Um, though the fight will essentially take place in the modern day, there is a sordid history between little Mr. James Hallett and these races. Uh, I think they actually gave a name to the Predators, like the Utache or something along those lines. Uh, but yes, so they actually have a name now, apparently. A race is what, you know, they actually have a race name. Uh, but yeah, so this kind of chronicles uh, a bit of, you know, them going through the years uh, in different uh, standoffs and kind of getting to where they are in the modern day. And I think a great start to this book, too. So uh, a, I think it's supposed to be a four-issue miniseries. So very excited about this. And, of course, had to get these homage covers because there's tons and tons of variants for this book here. But, yeah. You can see this one here. Love this. So a little bit of a Hulk homage. I can't remember what issue the Hulk that is, but basically the it was traditionally the uh, it was Wolverine with uh, the Hulk's reflection in his claws, but of course they did the reverse there of Predator uh, Wolverine's claws. So yeah, so really really fun book there. So very excited about that. Next up here, Captain America number one. This has got a new creative team on here: J. Michael Straczynski and uh, Jesus Says uh, does the art on here. Uh, this is interesting because uh, while, of course, they're setting up you know, so, you know, a new villain, a new threat, as they you know, typically do in here, uh, this is also kind of a bit of a personal and emotional story because we're talking about kind of handling the life of Steve Rogers around the time when, you know, basically shortly after his mother passed away when he was 11 years old, up until the time when he turns 18 to go to join the Army. And... So there was basically a period of six, seven years, give or take, where he was alone, trying to survive on the streets of New York and, you know, homeless, you know, you know, basically no family, anything like that. So a very interesting, very personal story here. Uh, so, yeah, I like where this is going so far. Uh, next up for Marvel here, 
I've been plugging Amazing Spider-Man here, this issue number 34. We are still within our storyline, kind of a uh, flip-flopping of the uh, Craven's Last Hunt, where we've got Craven Jr. teaming up with Queen Goblin to basically see if they can corrupt Peter Parker uh, and maybe get Norman Osborn to go back to being evil. Uh, that failed miserably when they basically did corrupt Peter Parker, and it has kind of gone a bit out of hand. So seeing a evil Parker hunting Craven and doing different things here and there to kind of lure him in, in certain ways where basically he has no, you know, he's not a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. He's not a good guy anymore. Uh, so it's a very, very interesting story. And of course, seeing kind of Norman Osborn as basically, you know, a bit of savior role here, trying to help Peter out. And, uh, yeah. So... Again, really, really interesting stuff here. Uh, next up, going into our indies here. I've uh, got a few from Image. And then, of course, uh, one from Boom Studios here. So we've got issue three of Big Game here from Mark Millar and Pepe Larraz. This has been an absolutely fun series, except if you're a superhero because they're all getting killed, basically. <laughs> uh, this is basically in the uh, Mark Millar world of uh, all of his numerous plot uh, uh, yeah, IPs, basically so many different characters and stories and whatever else. You know some like Wanted, The Kingsman, uh, Kick-Ass, uh, you know, Jupiter's Legacy. Anyway, the bad guys essentially are trying to take back over again and wiping out this new generation of heroes in the way that they did back in the 80s, if you know Jupiter's Legacy, where basically the bad guys took over and killed all the superheroes in the early 80s and then made the world forget there were superheroes. So this is sort of a continuation of that, kind of spinning off of the Nemesis Reloaded series. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, I'm loving it. It's a lot of brutal fun. But yeah, if you like the good guys, it's a, it's a rough series. But uh, there is a, uh, a bit of hope here in episode three. So yeah, I just you know, really, really enjoyed this here. Uh, next up, another series I've been into from the beginning here, Tenement from Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino, also colors by Dave Stewart. Uh, this is part of the uh, Bone Orchard Mythos uh, imprint here, where basically it is uh, Lemire and Sorrentino's kind of new psychological horror imprint, where everything's kind of connected, but there's also some independence between these stories here. Uh, this particular one, the Tenement, we've got a group of people literally living in a tenement building, and this building, after the death of one of the residents, has been transported to another plane, and that plane might be hell itself. Uh, so now, essentially, they're going on some one of a uh, Dante's Inferno style of journey down a endless staircase to see if they can find a way out of the building, a way out of where they are, that sort of thing like that. Uh, of course, though, we are losing people along the way and weird things are happening. So, again, very, it's, you know, all the Bone Orchard Mythos stuff has been, you know, there might be some gore in there, but it's mostly been very psychological stuff. You've had uh, The Tenement, 10,000 Black Feathers, The Passageway. Uh, these have been fantastic books. Uh, there's more to come. I think The Tenement may be the last thing for this year. Uh, but then, of course, we've got more coming up for 2024. So looking very forward to see what they come up to next. Uh, last one for Image here, another Jeff Lemire, Fish Flies number two. Uh, this has been a 
cute and creepy book all at once. Uh, the first issue started off with basically you got a group of boys who are going to the neighborhood convenience store for some popsicles and they get to the parking lot and the place is covered in fish flies as what they would call them in Canada. We know them here as mayflies. But basically when the, they normally lived on the water, when the water temperature drops to a certain point, the mayflies all literally get out of town at the same time, but they literally don't survive very long outside of the water. So it's usually like about a week later, they'll end up dying off. But for a while, they're basically pests. They just litter parking lots anywhere that basically the light would attract them. They're there. Uh, so they, they don't bite anybody. They don't cause any harm. They're just kind of a nuisance. Well, an interesting thing happens. So the boys go inside the convenience store. One of the boys is shot by a person trying to rob the convenience store, and then after the person who was the robber tries to get away, an interesting metamorphosis starts happening. And we get basically a literal Kafka-esque, you know, man turning into insect here, but then he ends up befriending a little girl who's kind of an outcast herself, and now it seems maybe that they're starting to come up with a bit of a friendship, you know, kindred spirits finding each other, but you know, how long does this guy have as a giant fish fly? You know, what, what's his purpose? What's going to happen? A lot of questions in here, but just a very interesting, very creepy story. And of course, Lemire does everything. He writes it, does the art. Uh, so yeah, everything kind of looks very similar to uh, this style of art here on the cover. But again, just very intriguing. Like the story. It's, like I said, it's, it's creepy, but it's also cute at the same time. So you get a little bit of both there. Lastly, here from Boom Studios, issue number 33 of Something is Killing the Children. Now, I know a couple of weeks ago, I gave issue 32 a lot of flack because I said, basically, it was almost kind of a pointless issue. You knew it was, you know, a lead-in, a setup issue, but it's like, we're not there yet. I'm kind of getting a little antsy. Like, let's get to the end of the story. Things are building up here. We've been dealing with this... Uh, basically a certain type of monster that is basically like a shape changer. Uh, it can, uh, you know, take on the persona of other people, though it doesn't quite look entirely human. It's enough to fool somebody for a short period of time. Uh, you know, probably just enough to come eat you. Uh, anywho, so Erica has been tracking this monster, and then unfortunately, uh, the house that she is opposed to, because basically she cares more about people than the job. So she's interested in saving people and saving lives and not just basically taking care of the monster than covering up the mess. Anywho, uh, they've sent over an expert and this expert basically is a complete homicidal maniac. Uh, her name is Cutter. And so she's basically wants to take out the monster, but also was really more in tune with wanting to kill Erica. So, this issue, literally everything starts to come to a head. Erica is literally trying to lure the duplicitype towards her. She's doing all these things to attract it. Finally, it's taken notice and it's coming right for her. Unfortunately, Cutter is also hiding and is also waiting for her moment to strike. So it's literally you're waiting for one of two terrible things to happen and they're both about to happen. So you don't know which one's going to happen first. But uh, yeah, issue 34... Uh, I'm sure is going to be very exciting because uh, literally you were kind of hanging on pins and needles uh, at the end of uh, 33 here. So 
yeah, there you go. But yeah, again, a good week of comic books here. Uh, last week, uh, Clobbering Comics had a fantastic Batman day, had a lot of folks come out, uh, get some freebies and buy some other good stuff here. Uh, so I hope uh, other stores around the country had a good Batman day as well. And you uh, got to observe it yourself. Uh, like I said at the top of the show, uh, here in E-Town, we have got the Night Risers Con. Uh, that is tomorrow. That is basically uh, Saturday the 23rd uh, over at the Morrison Lodge on uh, Mulberry. So nice, lovely little uh, local lodge there, a, a, a Mason Lodge. Uh, they put on a free con here, uh, but there will be local vendors there selling their wares. Or you've got artists there. There, I know my friend Carl Wilson is going to be there, a very talented artist. So go buy some stuff from him. Uh, but of course, celebrities there, uh, some local wrestlers, uh, Vic the Bruiser, uh, Simon Says. Uh, it's basically like the old school deathmatch uh, wrestling stuff there. Vic, Vic wasn't the deathmatch, but Simon was. Uh, and then, uh, of course, uh, we've got the guest of honor, Ari Lehman, the first Jason, you know, like the kid that popped out of the water in the original Friday the 13th. Yep, he's the guest of honor there. So uh, I think his band's playing tonight here in town. And then uh, later on uh, tomorrow night, I think after the con around 7 o'clock, there's a zombie walk in E-Town, so that's also free. Just basically, uh, you know, show up looking half dead, you know. <laughs> so lots of fun things to do in town. And, uh, yeah, hope you guys uh, get to enjoy yourselves and have a fantastic weekend. Next week on the show, I'm looking forward to this one here because it's another podcast crossover, but not somebody that's in the uh, Serial Box Network, someone that's doing her own thing, another friend of mine, Melinda Beck. Probably one of the finest supergirls I've ever known. Uh, but she has got a new podcast called Moss Hollow. That is an amazing experience. Uh, so if you like your creepy horror podcasts, this one is awesome. Uh, so yeah, Moss Hollow is actually uh, currently out right now in episode four. So I invite you guys to check it out. But we're going to talk to the creator and star of Moss Hollow next week. So I'm excited about that. So you all have yourselves a wonderful weekend and I will see you next time on the Fanatic Forum. And before we go, we're going to have a little word here from my friends for Comic Books for Kids. Take care, everybody. Comic Books for Kids provides comic books to kids in hospitals and cancer centers across the U.S. It's a place where we can all work together to make sure every child has a comic book. 100% of all proceeds go towards the kids. It's about making a difference, and while they're in the hospital, allowing them to fly like a superhero, battle dragons, or rescue teddy bears. We are in every state in the country and now support over 160 hospitals. Every month, we add more. Visit cb4k.org.